Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Thank you. 
Father, in your glorious name, we praise you, Father, Father Jesus, and Son Jesus. We praise you, Lord, our Father, our God, our Creator, our Savior, our Master, the Redeemer of our soul. We thank you, Father, for this seventh day. We thank you that tomorrow is the great and wonderful celebration and holy day of Pentecost. Thank you, Father, for getting us through this year thus far, and last month, and last week, and this week thus far. And we know, Father, that you are faithful to finish the work that you began in us, that we're not done, we're not complete yet, but you are faithful. If we follow you, we, if we obey you, we are going to become complete in you. Father, when that Psalm 23 says that you are our shepherd and we shall not want, we shall not want any other than you. We shall not need any other than you. You are our spouse. We are your bride. You are our Lord, our King, our Master, our greatest and closest friend. You are our congregation. You are the body of Christ. You are the resurrection. You are the life and the way and the truth. And there is no other way nor any other light than you. We ask you, Father, to help us to fully, fully, sincerely and deeply in all the ways surrender to you, to your spirit, to your will, to your movements, that we would put you first above all else, above parents, children, friends, husbands, wives, brothers, sisters. We'd put you first, Father, is, is, is what we need. Father, help us, Lord, if there be anything in our lives, in our hearts, or in our minds that come before you that you would help us to see it, understand that, come to that wake-up call, that we may put those things lower in the line and put you first. We ask, Father, for this cleansing, for this help, for this purification. And, Father, even though that's not the sermon today, we ask, Father, that you would help us with all that. And now we also ask you, Father, that you would help us with today's topic to understand the scriptures concerning today's topic, the word for today and tomorrow for Pentecost, and that you would help us tomorrow also again to understand your word, to grow in the truth, to grow in understanding and comprehension 
of the truth, of your word, of the Holy Scriptures, and of your will, and what the truth really is. Please, Father, deliver us from any remaining false thinking, false doctrines and lies and deceptions, weaknesses and immaturity. Deliver us from those things and bring us into a greater measure of your light, a greater measure of your word, of your truth, of your spirit, and of your presence. We pray, Lord, that we be lifted up to you, into your bosom, and become at one with you, rather than at one with the world or with ourselves, but at one with you, Father. For that is where we originated from and where we are to return. We ask you, Father, your will in all this, your help in the services today. Help us to listen. Help us to be awake and alert. Help us to pay attention and to receive the seed today, to be fully planted, your word to be fully planted, and ingrained into us today that it may take deep root and not wilter away, not be carried away with the worries of the world and activities and jobs and this and that, but to really and truly take root within us and, and spring forth and fruit and blossom and bear forth good fruit for your kingdom, Father, your kingdom, your government, your world, your universe, the creation that you built for your own glory, your own kingdom, and your citizens. We pray that we'll be there in the fullness and completion of that project, that we'll be in paradise, that we'll be in the kingdom. We pray, Lord, that we will not be consumed by your presence, but rather, rather that we would become part of your presence and in alignment and in agreement and in unity and one with your presence rather than to be destroyed by your presence. We ask, Father, for this, for life and for life eternal. If any of us are not saved, we pray, Father, that you would save us and deliver us from death and from ourselves and from this flesh that hinders us. All of this, in Jesus' holy name, your will be done, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. May you see it. We're going to start today in the book of Prophets. And we're going to start in Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 7. While you're turning to Jeremiah 7, Page 51, for the record, today's date in the Roman Catholic calendar that the world uses, July, I mean June, I'm getting a month ahead, June 23rd, 2018 A.D., in the year of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that in God's created calendar, it is the 10th day of the third month, 10th day of the third month. 4th of July will be here very, very, very soon. I look forward to that. Look forward to tomorrow. We've got some chocolate cake lined up. I think we can eat half of that today and half of it tomorrow. We, can, we shouldn't eat a whole cake in, only on one day. So I think we can divide it up, have a, a Pentecost weekend. Amen. 
It is two holy days, after all. Today is a holy day, the chief of the holy days, the chief foundation of all the other holy days. The first of the holy days is the seventh day. Amen. And then tomorrow, even greater and more holy. Amen. So we'll, we'll celebrate both days. We'll hang up some decorations later, make it look more festive, feel more festive, so forth. So a weekend plan. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to have my, my sister Brittany and my brother Michael here with me to help celebrate. And for people in other places where you might be feeling alone, well, I feel alone as well. And I think we all do to some degree. And But Jesus is our shepherd. We shall not want or need anyone else. It's good to have others. It's God's will to have others. But if we have Christ, he is sufficient. And we are to be content with that alone. Amen. Many, many, many people throughout history have had to dwell without any human companionship. Many people throughout history. If they followed Jesus, they were alone as far as human companionship. Even if they had a wife, or family, or children, they had to forsake those people. And the truth is that many more of us will face that day, must face that day. And if we're not willing to face that day, we are not worthy. We must be willing, if called upon, to forsake husband, wife, father, mother, brother, children, grandchildren, closest friends, jobs, careers, houses, and land, or anything or anyone, we must be willing to forsake the world and all of the world. That is what many people of God have had to do throughout the centuries and will, again, have to do. I'd like for you to think about that. I've mentioned it over and over and over and over and over and over. But there is coming a day when the door will be shut to this ministry and to Jesus Christ. My prayer and my petition is that everyone that listens to these services will be in the kingdom. But thank God for that second chance. Thank God for the second resurrection. Because the truth is that there are many people upon this planet that will not make it in the first resurrection. And that is simple reality, truth. But let none of us think that we can put put it off. And just wait to the second resurrection because God knows our heart. And if we are willing to forsake him and put people, places, and things ahead of him in this life 
and just think, well, we'll get saved in the next life, God will know our heart, our mind, and our intention, and that will still be held against us through the tribulation, through the wrath, through the millennium, and through that hundred years and all the way to the last judgment day, God will remember and hold us accountable for our sins until we sincerely, deeply repent. Amen. Nobody gets away of anything. You might not be thrown into death. You may not be thrown into prison, but you will pay. We all pay for our sins. We all face the consequences of our actions. Amen. In this life and the next. I had to say that because that is very, 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 very heavy on my mind today. Even though I'm trying to get into Pentecost mode and celebrate and be happy and full of joy and nothing else. But my heart is heavy and surpassing the joy. Because tomorrow we celebrate the resurrection, the first resurrection. And the fact is, our family will be divided. Some will go and some will not. And that's very sad to me. But I am going to try to shove you through the door (laughs) of the first resurrection. If you do not go in the first resurrection, it won't be because I've not tried to get you there. Amen. But today, we're going to talk about something else. And that is immigration. Very hot news, hot topic in the world today is immigration, especially the American and the Mexican border, people coming across the border from Mexico into the United States. But it's not just an American problem. It's a huge problem even in Europe and Australia and more in Korea than what you may think as well. All across the world, there is a huge, huge problem of illegal immigration. Now, a lot of people would say the Bible says to not oppress the alien, the foreigner. And we're going to read that verse today, but we'll read other verses as well, and not just one verse, amen because a lot of people will read that one verse alone about immigration in the Bible, that we are not to oppress the alien or the immigrant within our border that live and dwell among us. We are not to oppress them. You may read that one verse and not any other verse, as is typical with the world. We're going to read other verses as well. Let's start in Jeremiah 7. Here in page 51, if you have the five-volume edition, Jeremiah 7, verse 1 through 16. 
verse 1 says and verse 2 says, Hear you the word of Jesus, all Judea. And right there we have to stop and say, Romans, the book of Romans in the New Testament says that if we are circumcised in the heart, we are Jews. Amen. So even though this would, may have originally been to a physical bloodline of Jews, we can learn from it because we are adopted. We are basically immigrants. Amen. If you don't have the, the bloodline of the Jews, you are an immigrant into the tribe of Judah. You are entering that tribe, immigrating to that tribe, and being adopted to be one of them. Amen. So we are part of this Judea, spiritually speaking, today. Amen. In verse 3, thus saith Jesus, he is of Israel, correct your ways and your devices. That word devices, we're going to change to pursuits. So just cross it out, put pursuits on top of it, pursuits. Correct your ways and your pursuits. What is a pursuit? A pursuit is what you pursue. Amen. It is what you put your mind upon, what you dwell on, what you go after, what you think your need is and your wants. Change these things. Amen. Your ways. What you pursue, what you put your mind on, what you think you need and want. And I will cause you to dwell in this place, in your border, in your nation. If we don't do these things, he would take us out of our nation. He would take us captive to other nations. That's what other verses say. Amen. Verse 4, trust not in yourselves with lying words, for they shall not profit you at all, those lying words saying that it is the temple of Jesus, the temple of Jesus, meaning what the Jews were doing is focusing on the flesh, focusing on stones, on a building, on the grandeur of the building. Hey, it was a, it was a very grander, big, beautiful, majestic building. It was the temple of God. It was supposed to look majestic. It was a mansion. Amen. It didn't look like a poor man's house or a shack. It was a beautiful sight to behold, and it was to be treated with reverence. That's very clear in the Bible. It was to be treated with reverence. But they were going beyond that. The temple of Jesus, the temple of Jesus, losing focus of Jesus himself. Amen. We should not be come obsessed and refocused or realigned to the cup that he held. What do they call that in the, in the book? The Holy, the Holy Grail, exactly. And other artifacts. Let's not be obsessed with those things, but rather focus, let's narrow our focus on Jesus. Amen. Not on things of gold and silver and metal and stone. Amen. They were focusing on stone, right? And we, too, learn from this, focus on Jesus, not stone, gold, and metal. Verse 5, for if you thoroughly correct your ways, underline, please, that, that word thoroughly, meaning not just outwardly and not just skin deep, 
and not just an inch deep, but all the way through your heart and all the way through your mind, your left side of your brain, your right side of your brain. Amen. Thoroughly, thoroughly, comprehensively correct your ways and your practices. And do indeed, underline indeed, because that's a, uh, in context with being very thorough, is indeed means sincerely, truly, truly, truly execute justice. It should say justice rather than judgment. Justice. Between a man and his neighbor. So what that means is be righteous and don't take favors because one man has more money than the other man or is more handsome or this or that or has more education or anything else but true, true justice between people. Amen. And verse 6, and oppress not the stranger. Now, I looked at the Greek word for stranger, and it's the same word for, and it actually is the Greek word is uh, prosotite or prosotite, and prosotite, prosotite, something like that, close. That's the Greek word. And it can be translated about three or four different ways. Not a whole lot of ways, not a hundred ways or ten ways, but just three or four ways. And this includes uh, stranger. That's why it says stranger. That's one of the ways it can be translated. But it can also be translated as a person that comes to. That's the most literal, most literal, a person that comes to, as in comes to your nation or comes to Jesus. Okay, so it's a person that comes to something, comes to Jesus or comes to your nation. It can be used either way as far as an immigrant coming to your nation or as a person who is a convert coming to Jesus, to the kingdom. And if you remember that coming to Jesus is more than just coming to his flesh and it's more than just coming to his blood. Is coming also into his government, his nation, his kingdom. We're being adopted. We're becoming immigrants to his nation, his kingdom, his government, and his laws, and his kingship. And this word prosthetite is the same word for convert in the New Testament. It's the same Greek word, a person that converts to Jesus, drafted in, adopted, or immigrate to his nation. In this particular verse, I'm going to change it to immigrant convert, immigrant convert rather than stranger. And we should not always translate it that way because sometimes I think stranger is a, a better translation in some verses. And other verses we should say alien. Other verses we should say uh, Gentile convert or um um, foreigner sometimes, foreigner or immigrant convert or Gentile convert, a person that comes to. So he's saying, oppress not this person that is coming to Jesus or into your nation as far as a person that is truly being adopted, okay? In either one of these contexts, in either one of these translations and Meanings, 
It's got to be a person that also comes into agreement. This ain't a person that crosses your border and refuses to assimilate. No. It is not talking about a person that refuses to assimilate. Because if they come into your land and refuse to assimilate, that's not conversion. So conversion is coming to it. Coming to Jesus is true repentance, true conversion, assimilating to his will. Or coming to your nation is more than just walking across the border. It's being adopted into that family. You are assimilating into the culture and laws of that nation. Okay? So I don't think this should really be ever translated as alien because the difference between an immigrant and an alien is an immigrant is adopted by the nation, embraced by the nation, and they, as a vice versa agreement, contract where both parties agree, where the alien is more of an alien, one that is not in full agreement, more of a stranger, not a true convert. Do not oppress this person, a true immigrant convert. Do not oppress the orphan, the widow, and shed not the innocent blood in this place, and go not after strange gods to your hurt. Amen. Now, I'd like for you to think about something, because if we were to embrace Muslims coming into our land, into our nations, across our borders, that do not want to convert, and they do not want to assimilate, what are they going to do? They are going to proselytize us convert us. That is their goal. That is their, the Muslims, stated public goal is to enter the Western nations and any and every nation and not to assimilate but to convert the people that already dwell in that land. That is their public Stated goal. They are not coming to agreement with us, with God, with Jesus, with our laws, with our nation, but rather they're coming to conquer. So that's an entirely different thing. If they're coming to conquer, they are not immigrants. They are invaders. Amen. They are invaders. They don't have to have a gun or a sword or a bomb in order to invade because they also publicly state that their goal is to dominate and conquer the people and the society from within through media, television, music, the news, culture, and politics. To do it in a, a shell, self-less manner, invisible Plain, oh, stealthy. Yeah, yeah. Hey, hey, come here. Stealthy, stealthy. Come here. Yeah, yeah. Why don't you say it loud enough where they can hear? In a stealthy manner. Thank you. Yeah, or covert manner. Okay. Hidden, secret manner. Amen. Because they're not just going to stand in your face and say, I want to deceive you, or I want to conquer you, or I want to dominate you, 
I want to control you. They're not going to say that straight to your face, but they're going to do it in a selfie, I cannot say, I don't know why I even try that, covertly or secret manner. I'm more sneaky, even as the Bible says that the devil loves the most crafty of the beast. Amen. Meaning clever and sneaky. Amen. And that's the way the Muslims operate, being the children of the devil, spiritually. Now, apply this toward the Mexicans for a minute. As I have said on the newsletter a couple of times, at least a couple of times in the past few years, but maybe you may not have seen it, but Islam is actually becoming the number one religion among the Mexican people. Right now, it's the Catholic Church is number one with the Mexicans, but Islam is going to overtake that. Islam is growing at very fast speed. It is the fastest growing religion that the Mexican people are converting to. They are converting from the Catholic Church to Islam in mass numbers, huge numbers, every year, more and more and more. And it's a very easy switch because just like in that false prophet article on the website, who is the false prophet, who, what is the false prophet, it explains 18 ways that the Catholic Church and Islam are the same religion. They are the same. There's no difference. Catholic Church is Islam. Catholic people are Muslims. I hope that everybody listening understand this. Thoroughly, indeed, comprehend all the way on the left side of your brain and your right side of your brain, all the way into your heart, all the way into your mind. A Catholic person is a Muslim person. Okay? They both use the rose beads. They both worship Mary and 16 other ways on that article. Perhaps if you've not read that in a while, maybe you need to read that again and refresh. I need to refresh my memory of it as well. And I'm sure that there's many, many, many more ways than not listed on that article. The fact is, on all of the articles on the website, I could add pages and pages and pages more of points and proof. But why extend any of these articles to even one more page or even one more paragraph? Why? Why even give one more point? When the fact is, all of the points and the proof already presented should be sufficient. Amen. How much proof do we need? Amen. And so considering that the Mexican population being majority of Catholic and now Muslims as well, and being and realizing now that they are all Muslim, this is an invasion. 
It is an invasion. Amen. These are not people coming to assimilate or to come into agreement with Jesus, with our tribe, with our government, with our law. The very fact of crossing the border is opposite of coming into agreement with the law in an illegal manner. The fact is, and people need to come to understand this, that there is an immigration system. There is a way of crossing that border without breaking the law. There are embassies and consulates and centers across Mexico from the very southern tip to the western, to the east, to the north, and every corner of Mexico. There are American embassies, consulates, and centers, buildings, places where they can fill out the paperwork to become an American citizen and cross the border in agreement with our nation and our laws. And that is the way it should be done. But America cannot say that every person that fills out this paperwork can come because even the terrorists, even the people that want to come and conquer our nation would just simply throw out the paperwork, which they're allowed to do. But just because you're filling out the paperwork doesn't mean that we are required to say yes to every person because then Mexico would be empty. Amen. The fact is Mexico is hell on earth. And I think a lot of Americans don't realize how bad it is in Mexico. It is hell on earth. It is worse than Africa, I think. It is a horrible, horrible place to live. Extremely, extremely dangerous. And it's extremely dangerous for a true follower of Jesus Christ. Because those Catholic Muslims down there in Mexico, they will kill you for being even a Protestant, for even being Baptist or Pentecostal. They will kill you because of your religion. Catholic people will. And so it's a very dangerous place to live, just like Africa and maybe worse. We'll get back to that later maybe, but let's keep reading. It says about strange gods. Let's not embrace these people that are trying to bring the strange gods and they're trying to convert us. Verse 7, then I will cause you to dwell in this place if you change your ways, if you live right, if you don't oppress the true immigrant, if you don't oppress the widow and the orphans. Then I will cause you to dwell in the place. I will keep you in your land, in the land which I gave to your fathers of old and forever. But whereas you have trusted in lying words, propaganda, Amen. Whereby that you should not be profited, and you murder, and you commit adultery, and steal, and swear falsely, and burn incense to Baal, which is what the Catholics do. They burn incense in the Catholic Church. <laughs> it's not to Jesus. They are burning incense to Baal in the Catholic Church, and are going after strange gods, amen, whom you know not. And that word strange there can also be translated as foreign. And so they are following people in America, Australia, Korea, across the world. They are following gods that are strange, 
foreign, heathen, pagan spirits. Verse 10, so that it is evil with you. Yet had you come and stood before me in the house of God, in the temple, or in the congregation, whereon my name is called, and you have said we have refrained from doing all these abominations. They don't admit their guilt. Is my house, whereon my name is called, a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I've seen it, said Jesus. That's a foreshadowing and a prophecy of what Jesus said when he overthrew the tables in the temple. He said, you've made my house a house of thieves, of robbers. You've made it into a den of robbers. He quoted himself before he said it. Or after he said it, whichever, whichever way you want to look at it. Amen. Amazing. Amen. Verse 12, that word for, I'm going to change it to the word so, S-O. Just cross out the word for, F-O-R, and change to the word S-O. So, go you to my place, which is in Shiloh, another town where the temple had been at one time, where I caused my name to dwell before, and see what I did to it because of the wickedness of my people Israel. He had done damage, brought judgment and chastisement to that town, even though that was the place where the temple had stood at one time. So, he's saying, I'll do it again. Just because you admire these buildings don't mean these buildings are safe. And just because it is my temple, which I instructed you to make, doesn't mean that I won't throw down my own building. This is a pretty serious warning. Amen. He's basically saying, I'm willing to destroy my own temple, a house built in my name and for my glory and for my honor, where I dwell and where people come to worship me, I will destroy that building and the town if I need to. God is willing to forsake people and places when need be, when the people are wicked, and when those things and places are being lifted up above him. He would tear it down. Psalm 1. Verse 13, and now because you have done all these things, I spoke to you, but you hearkened not unto me, and I called you, but you answered not. Therefore, I also would do to the house, talking about in Jerusalem, where my name is called, wherein you trust, you trust in a house, in a building, and to the place which I gave to you and your fathers, which I did to Shiloh as well. And I will cast you out of my sight, as I cast away your brethren, all the seed of Ephraim. He had cast out even the nation and the tribe of Ephraim, even though the throne of David had been given to that tribe and remains with that tribe to this day. But at one time, he divorced all of the house of Israel, which includes Ephraim and the Jews and all of them. God divorced. He divorced. Amen all of the tribes. And he's willing to forsake his own wife. He's willing to forsake his own children, his own wife, his own friends, 
his own people, his own house, his own congregation, everything and everybody. God is willing when needed, when the people are sinful, to forsake. He doesn't want to forsake. He doesn't want to forsake. But he's willing when needful, even as the scriptures tell us that we need to be willing when needful to forsake people and things. Verse 16, therefore pray not for this people and intercede not for them to be pitied. Yes, pray not and approach me not for them, for I will not hearken unto you. Now this doesn't mean that we should never ever pray for the lost. But it's very specific. He's talking to Jeremiah at a very specific time in history and location. He's speaking directly to one man about the context of what was happening in that day and in that time. It's not saying we should never, ever, ever pray for America or for lost people or our families. But Jeremiah I'm about to bring an army into this land to invade these people because these people are wicked. Don't pray for them because I've already made up my mind. It is done. It's going to happen. So it don't you just be wasting your time and your energy to pray for these people. I've already given them chance after chance after chance. I told you to warn these people. I called Isaiah Ezekiel to warn these people. Other people, other prophets came and warned these people. They did not hearken unto me. They did not listen to me. They ignored me. They trampled my foot under word, under foot. Much like our families and our friends today have rejected and thrown and cast down under foot Jesus Christ. Now, the first time that God came to speak to Israel, to warn them, they didn't listen. He sent another prophet and another prophet. God is patient. But there is a limit to the patience that God has. Amen. His patience is not unlimited. And our patience should not be unlimited. Once you speak to your family or your friends or someone, over and over and over, there's got to be a day that you say, okay, that's enough. They have rejected outright on purpose, rejected the truth. And when they reject the truth, they reject Jesus. Jesus is the truth. When they reject our word that God has given us, the truth, they have rejected Jesus. And it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter if they have stuck with us all of our lives, always helped us and defended us. It doesn't matter if they saved us physically, it doesn't matter if they gave me CPR. It doesn't matter if they paid my rent every month of my life. It doesn't matter who they are or what they've done for us. If they have tread underfoot the word of God over and over and over again, every time we have tried to share the truth with them, they are not worthy of life. They are not worthy of our peace, our blessings. They are not worthy to speak to us. They are swine. They are dogs. And they should be treated such as. If God 
who is love, can and has forsaken his own children and his own wife, then I too should be willing to forsake my own wife, my own parents, my own brothers, cousins, nephews, nieces. It don't matter how much I love the flesh that I was born with. It only matters how much I love God. And when the world burns and people are destroyed, if I am the only one standing with Jesus, I will be standing with Jesus, no matter who, no matter what the number is that's standing beside me. Whether it's one or a million or zero that stands beside me, I'm going to stand with Jesus. That's why I have forsaken my mom, my dad, my brother, my favorite uncle, my favorite nephew. I refuse to speak to these evil people. My own mom, my own dad, my own brother, my own uncle, my own nephew. I refuse to speak to them except only when absolutely necessary to get things done. But as a friend, no. And I am wondering, when this congregation is going to do the same thing? I wonder when. Amen. Lock the door to my I was going to keep my shirt on, but I'm burning up because God is burning up. Getting awful hot in here. I didn't intend on saying all this today. But this is what the Holy Ghost has heavy on my heart today. I cannot celebrate tomorrow. I will. I will celebrate tomorrow, but in the back of my mind and in my heart will still be sorrow and grief. Because the way that it looks right now is very possible. I won't have a congregation left a month from now. Very, very, very possible that I will not have any congregation left very soon. Because God is getting hot under the collar, and it is time for me to make a stand against compromise. Amen. Time for me to make a stand against compromise. And if I lose every member of this congregation, even my own wife, then so be it. 
It is time that there be a line drawn in the sand. Be willing to forsake your family or not. We are not to compromise with Muslims. And the Baptist Church and the Pentecostal Church, they are Muslims too. The Lutherans, they are Muslims. The Presbyterians, they are Muslims. All of Babylon is Islam. Islam is the religion of Satan. It is the religion of all of Babylon. All of Babylon. They are Muslims. Why are people compromising with Satan and saying that you follow this ministry? No, you do not follow this ministry. You follow Satan because you're not willing to forsake anyone. If you're not willing to divorce, I am. Amen. Now let's go back to the scripture here. Verse 13. And now because you've done all these things and I spoke to you, but you hearken not to me. And I called, but you answered not. Verse 14. Therefore, I also would do the things wherein my name is called, wherein you trust, and to the place which I gave you and your fathers, as I did to Shiloh. 15. And I cast you out of my sight, as I cast away your brethren, all the seed of Ephraim, Therefore, pray not you for these people, and intercede not for them to be pitied. Yes, pray not, and approach me not for them, for I will not hearken unto you. Amen. That's verse 16. Now let's go to Malachi. In the last of the prophets, the last couple pages of the book, Malachi 3. Let's read this entire chapter here of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3 verse 1. Behold, I send forth my messenger, talking about the flesh of Jesus. Here's the spirit of Jesus in heaven talking about sending his flesh. I send forth my messenger, and he shall survey the way before me, before he actually comes to the earth the second time. The first time he was coming to survey the land, so I must send my flesh to survey the land before I come again the second time. And Jesus, whom you seek, shall surely come into his temple. That identifies the messenger. He came into his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, he is, whom you take pleasure in, behold, he is coming. Say of himself, say of Jesus Almighty. And who will abide? Who will be able to stand? Who will be able to survive the day of his coming the second time? Or who will withstand at his appearing? For he is coming in as a fire of a furnace and as soap of portion. Amen. He shall sit to melt and purify as it were silver. And as it were gold, and he shall purify the sons of Levi, meaning 
when he comes back the second time, there will still be physical descendants of Levi, even though there is no such thing as a Levitical priesthood anymore. There are still sons of Levi, and he will refine them as gold and silver, and they shall offer to Jesus an offering of righteousness, not of animal sacrifices, but righteousness is a sacrifice. Following God is a sacrifice. You can't just say, I prayed, I repented, I believed, and I was baptized, and I keep the seventh day. That is not enough. Truly, thoroughly, with all of your mind, all of your heart, all of your being, all of your soul, follow Jesus as a sacrifice. It is a sacrifice. Carrying the cross, take up your cross and follow me, deny yourself, is a very big thing. Huge, huge, huge thing. Amen. It's a huge thing. To take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Jesus and be one of his followers. Huge. It would change your life. Everything. Everything. You will lose family, you will lose friends, and you will die alone. You will die alone and broke and naked if you follow Jesus. Are you willing to become a sacrifice? Amen. God purifies. He purifies. And what he purifies will be purified thoroughly. Amen. And not just outwardly. He is a fire, the lake of fire. Who will abide, who will survive the brightness of his presence? Now, when he first comes on this second coming, he's not going to show all of himself. We will see Jesus in heaven. We will see Jesus on earth at the end of the wrath, but you still won't see Jesus. You still won't see the fullness of who he really is until judgment day when the lake of fire shall melt the elements of this earth and all the trees and the grass shall be burnt up. Only on that day will ultimately we'll see who really stands of course, we'll see in the first resurrection as well. But we won't see God in his full, complete self until he is ready to destroy all wickedness and all chances are done and over with. And the only ones that will be able to abide and dwell and survive his true and full, unhindered, unheld back presence will only be those that have been thoroughly purified before them. Amen. And if we still have major impurities in us, then his presence will melt our soul, destroy our soul, perish our soul, completely wipe out and destroy our soul if we still had sinfulness in our minds. It's not about washing only the flesh but washing the heart, washing the mind, completely, completely, completely clean. Through cleanliness, even a little bit of leaven, leaven is the whole lump. 
Even though we are not perfect right now, we must become perfect. Must. And if you're not perfect, you will not enter paradise. It's that plain, that simple. But when I say perfect, I'm not talking about being able to count. I'm not talking about being able to read and write. I'm not being. I'm not talking about uh, not having emotions or not having feelings. That's not perfection. Being able to count and calculate and spell is not perfection in the eyes of God. Amen. I'm talking about perfection in the eyes of God. I'm not talking about not having wrinkles or being fat. I'm not talking about physical perfection. I'm talking about being sin-free. That is what I'm talking about. Spiritual perfection. Sin-free. And being fully mature, responsible, honorable. Being an honorable person full of honor and respect and full maturity and sin-free. That is the perfection that we must become. It doesn't matter whether we have correct grammar or be able to speak or spell or how much college education we've got. None of those things are going to matter. He's not going to even weigh those things at all. Those things won't even be even considered. Only your spiritual maturity in Christ. Now it says here in verse 4, And the sacrifice of Judah and Jerusalem shall be pleasing to Jesus according to the former days and according to the former years, meaning we will be restored to him. And I will draw near to you in judgment, and I will be a swift witness against the witches, Wicca, and against the adulteress, and against them that swear falsely by my name, which includes people saying that they're Christians and they're not, and against them that keep back the hireling's wages, which includes tithes, according to the book of James, and them that oppress the widow and afflict orphans and that prevent the justice of the proselytes, meaning immigrant converts. So I'm going to actually change that I'm going to actually remove even the note there and the Greek word there, even though that is the correct Greek word, but people don't know what it means. So I'm just going to translate it to immigrant convert so people know what it's talking about. It's talking about an immigrant convert, meaning a person that wasn't born into the tribe of Judah, but is coming to the nation of God, converting to Jesus regardless of race or color. Amen? God is wonderful. Amen. He doesn't look at the color of our skin. Amen. He doesn't look who our parents were, thank God. But he looks at the heart. He does look at the heart. And he knows whether our heart is right or not. Amen? So all those people that keep bringing up when you talk about Christmas, Easter, Sunday, Seventh Day, it's about the heart. He looks at the heart. Say, yes, you're right. He looks at the heart, and he knows that if we're not willing to obey him, keep the commandments, our heart is not right. And if we want to continue to keep Christmas and Easter, our heart is not right. Amen. He does look at the heart. 
And fear not, these people fear not him if they oppress the orphans and the widows and the true convert. If they oppress these people, they don't fear him. That's what it's saying here. It says, and fear not me. If they oppress these people, and fear not me, saith Jesus Almighty, then he comes in judgment, going back to the first part of the verse. He comes to judge these people. Verse 6, for I am Jesus, your theos, and I am not changed. Amen? He doesn't change. Some of his laws did, but he has not changed. And his character is the same now as it was in his character. And his moral, spiritual law has not changed. Amen? What has changed is the fleshly laws. You can't touch this. You can't taste this. You can't eat this. And you you got to circumcise. you got to cut this. you got to sacrifice this. Those fleshly laws are done with. It's the spirit that he really cares about, right? It's the spirit that he really cares about, and his spiritual laws, his character, his mind has not changed. Amen. Verse 7, But you, sons of Jacob, which be all twelve tribes, have not refrained from the sins, iniquities, law-breaking of your fathers. You have perverted my statutes. Not talking about statues with stones, the word statues here is another word for law. And have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, saith Jesus Almighty. But you said, wherein shall we return? What have we done wrong? Will a man insult this? For you insult me. But you say, wherein have we insulted you? In that the tithes and the first fruits are still with you. The people didn't give their tithes. Now, this word insult in the aromatic Assyrian Bibles is wrongfully translated as, is it word steal or rob? Rob is what it says in King James. But the reason it says rob rather than, rather than insult in King James is because they're translating what he's really talking about. He's talking about robbing him by keeping the tithes. That's what he's saying. But. The actual Greek word is not rob and is not steal. But neither is the word insult. We might have to change this. The word insult should be translated as stumped on or stump. Uh, so every time that you see the word insult in verse 8 and in verse 9, cross it out or put a star over it or something like that, they may be at the bottom of the page. You can write down chapter 3, verse 8, and verse 9, that the star in each one of these cases represents stumped, as you, you stumped your foot, okay? You stumped your foot against something, like stumping on an ant or stumping on a roach bug. That's what people are doing to God. They are treading underfoot. They are stumping on Jesus by not paying their tithe. In other words, rejecting. Amen? But the Greek word actually means to, to stomp, to kick, to get even more literal. The Greek word means to uh, take the heel of your foot 
and uh, kick against him. But you don't kick with your heel. You stump with your heel. You kick with your front toes, right? So since it's talking about the heel of your foot, the English word would be stomp on Jesus or tread underfoot. And that is what we are doing when we don't pay our tithes, is rejecting Jesus. And verse 9, and you do surely look off from me and you stunt me. Verse 10, the year is completed and you have brought all the produce into the storehouses. Now, right here, he's going to start going back and forth. It's going to get kind of confusing because he's going to go back and forth here between people that are obeying him and people that's not obeying him. Sometime in the future, I'm going to try to paragraph this better to where you can tell with line breaks in the future when he's talking to the righteous, when he's talking to the wicked. And so I'm going to have to break it down sometime when I get a chance, probably within this week, hopefully. But let's try to figure this out here, verse 10. Um, now, in verse 9 and 8, he's talking to the wicked, right? People that have not paid their tithes, who are stumping, trading underfoot Jesus. And now, in verse 10, it says, The year is completed and you have brought all the produce into the storehouses. So these are now talking about people who have brought their tithes, but there shall be plunder thereof in its house. So either an invasion taken away of the tithes from the house, stealing from God's money or something like that, return now on this behalf, repent now on this behalf concerning this thing, say of Jesus Almighty. Now see if I would not open up to you the torrents of heaven and pour out my blessing upon you until you are satisfied. So it's saying if you repent of not paying your tithes, if you repent of robbing the tithes, if you repent of stumping against me, I, which means you start paying your tithes and you start obeying the law, the commandments, start obeying God, fully surrender, stop oppressing people just based on their income and their status and their race and so forth, and if you just follow God completely, fully follow God, he will open up heaven, rain upon you blessings, rain blessings upon you. So when people um, say that they cannot afford to tithe, what they're really saying is they don't trust God to bless them. Amen. And they're thinking a carnal, very physically, fleshly, carnal, sinful manner of thinking. That if you obey God, that you're going to lose. That you won't be able to pay your rent. You won't be able to pay your electric because you obey God. That's a very sinful way of thinking. If you believe in God and obey Him, He will make a way. And if, if the rent and electric does go unpaid and you get kicked out, it's because you're supposed to get kicked out. It's because you are supposed to go somewhere else if that's what happens. So don't be afraid of losing wife, husband, land, 
house, job, career, electric, rent. Put God first. He will either bless or bless you in a different way by removing you from where you're not supposed to be and moving you to where you are supposed to be. One way or another, he will bless you when you put him first and obey him 100%. And he will open up the gates of heaven and bless you. May not be in the way you want, may not be in the way you expect it, but he will bless you as a promise. It's written in the scriptures. It is written in the scripture. The scripture cannot be broken. Amen. It don't mean that you will be rich, but he will bless you in some way and some form. And perhaps that blessing will only be to get you into the center of his will, of where you're really supposed to be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and or physically, which is a blessing all in itself. You may end up in a tent with nothing to your name. You may die alone, broke, and naked. But when you rise, you're going to rise as a king. Amen. And be an immigrant that is not oppressed, but loved, beloved, and honored in the kingdom. Amen. Lay up our treasures in heaven, not upon the earth. Amen. But people don't trust God. Amen. Verse 11. I will appoint food for you, and I will not destroy the fruit of your land, and your vine in the field shall not fail, said Jesus Almighty, talking about if you obey. And all the nations shall call you blessed. In the kingdom, in paradise, the nations will say, look at this person that honored God, that obeyed God. For you should be a desirable land, meaning God's going to give you land, a border, a property, a city, a nation, a state, maybe a planet, maybe a galaxy for you to control. That will be your land. And you shall be a desirable land to have Jesus Almighty and you have spoken, now, now going back to the evil people, verse 13. So if you want to maybe put a line in front of 13 or maybe a W in front of 13 to help you realize now he's going to the wicked. You have spoken grievous words against me, say of Jesus. Yet you said, wherein have we spoken against thee? Well, what have we done wrong? Well, Lord, I don't know what I've done wrong. What did I do wrong? Verse 14, you said, he that serves Theos labors in vain. It's just in vain. I'm going to lose this. I'm going to lose that. That was the attitude that Solomon had in Ecclesiastes, where he is constantly in Ecclesiastes saying, life is in vain. It's pointless because I see even the righteous man dying. And even the dog goes to the same place that the righteous man goes. Life is in vain. That is the attitude that wicked Solomon had, who died lost, worshiping Queen Easter when he died. He went to his grave in dishonor. Amen. He went to his grave in dishonor. We should not be like these wicked people. 
But you said that he that serves Theos labors in vain. And what we have gained in that we have kept his ordinances. What have we gained? It's useless, what these people say. And in that we have walked as supplicants before the face of Jesus Almighty. I looked up that word supplicants. It's correct. As a hard word to understand that it is totally correct. We should not change it. It is totally correct. But we just got to learn what it means. Basically what it means is it can mean a devoted person, a religiously devoted person, be totally devoted to God. And it can also be translated as a person that is praying, that we are praying to God. Uh, you're devoted in prayer and supplication. So what the word supplicant means is to uh, intercede in prayer for people, being a supplicant uh, for other people in prayer, being devoted to God, and putting both of those meanings together, being a person that supplicates for other, meaning pray for other, and a person that is devoted, putting those two meanings together, you could also translate it as a devoted prayer warrior. Okay? So this is what it means. Now, you said all this is in vain. What have we gained? We've obeyed him in vain. And we have walked as a devoted prayer warrior. We're suffocating, we're praying, we're being devoted. But yet, all this labor is in vain, is the attitude of the wicked. Verse 15. And now we pronounce strangers blessed and all they who act unlawfully or build up. The word strangers here is, again, false type. But in the context of what we're talking about, I think it needs to be translated as aliens slash strangers. So we're not going to cross it out. We're just going to add the word aliens, aliens slash strangers or foreigners. It can also be translated as foreigner in this context, which is what an alien is. Now these wicked people say, now we have pronounced these aliens blessed and all they who act unlawfully are built up and they have resisted theos and yet have not and yet have been delivered. Now this may, in verse 15, might be the righteous talking. i got to think about that. But whether it's the righteous or the wicked, either way, what it's really saying is somebody, whether it's the righteous or the wicked, they have wrongfully blessed the aliens, the uh, unlawful Notice the context in this verse is those that act unlawfully. So in this particular context, even though the word might be prosthetite, which usually means come to in agreement, doesn't really mean that because it's in a negative context. The context must always be what overrules the translation. Okay? The context is a person acting unlawfully. They are not coming across the border lawfully. 
Now, somebody has blessed these people, and they've been delivered. They've been rescued, but not not rightfully. They should not have been delivered. So I think this may be the righteous complaining about the unrighteous. I think this may be in verse 15 where it starts to talk about the righteous again, complaining about the unrighteous. Verse 16, thus spoke they that feared Jesus, everyone to his neighbor, and Jesus gave heed and hearkened. So verse 16 is very clearly the righteous. So I'm going to put an R in front of 16 for righteous. And I'm going to put verse 15 as maybe being a, um, what you call a, a transition between the righteous and the wicked. Okay? Uh, going from what the righteous, what, going from what the wicked say to what the righteous say. Verse 16, thus saith they that fear Jesus, everyone uh, to his neighbor, and Jesus gave heed and hearkened, and he wrote a book of remembrance before him uh, for them that feared Jesus and reverenced his name, and they shall be mine, saith Jesus Almighty in the day, which I appoint for a particular, a peculiar possession, and I will make choice of them as a man makes choice of his son that serves him. Then shall you return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, and between him that serves Theos and him that serves him not. Amen. There shall be a separation. Amen. There shall be a separation between the righteous and the wicked. There is a a red line, a line in the sand that is being drawn. Amen. Let's go now to the book of law in Exodus 12. Exodus chapter 12 in the book of law. Page Exodus 12, verse 37. We're going to read from verse 37 to 49, the end of the chapter. Exodus 12, 37. Exodus 12, 37. And the children of Israel, it should say, and the children of Israel departed from Ramesses, which is very, very, very northern Egypt, to the other place called Sukkoth, to the full number of 600,000 foot men, besides the women and the children. So the number of men alone was 600,000. So common sense says if you add women and children, it's going to be over a million people, okay? Verse 38, a great mixed company went up with them. And what that means is even some of the Egyptians, and I'm going to confirm that, or rather the scripture does confirm that in the following verses, that even some Gentiles went with them. 
So I'd like for you to underline mixed company. And then in the note, it says some Egyptians. So if you underline some Egyptians in the note and the mixed company actually in the verse, it'll help you connect the meaning there. So a great mixed company went up with them and also the sheep and oxen and very much cattle. 39, and they baked the dough which they brought out of Egypt, unleavened cakes or loaves. I'd like for you to change cakes to loaves. Not talking about sweet cake, but a loaf of bread, unleavened loaves. So it had not been leavened, for the Egyptians threw them out, and they could not remain. Neither did they prepare provision for themselves for the journey. Now they brought food, but what it says, what it means by provisions is meaning that they wasn't able to finish cooking, and they wasn't able to able to cook breakfast. Okay, they didn't have time to cook breakfast that morning. Neither did they, did they have any time to finish the bread, because to leaven bread in that day and that time, they had to let the bread sit for it to rise. It took a certain amount of time for the bread to rise, but they had no time. Once the sun rose, King Pharaoh was like, get out of here right now. And they had to leave very quickly. But they did take food and provision with them. Verse 40, and the sojourning of the children of Israel, while they sojourned in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, was 430 years. Remember, that's not talking about how long they were in Egypt alone. But rather, Canaan, even before Egypt, the land where Abraham and Jacob and Joseph were before they went into slavery, a total of 430 years. Verse 41, and it came to pass after the 430 years that all the forces of Jesus came out of the land of Egypt by night. The word forces is correct, which has got to understand what it means. And in one sense, it means army. But in another sense, it means uh, a group of people or an energy, a strength, something that is being used as a force. So God is using the people as his army or as his tool, an instrument of force against Pharaoh, even though they didn't, they didn't fight. But it was an instrument of force to slap Pharaoh in the face, to punish Pharaoh, and to establish a testimony for all of the rest of this generation. Amen. Uh, so in, in those different ways, these people are called forces. The force of Jesus come forth out of the land of Egypt by night. Now, they were cast out in the morning, but when they got to the Red Sea, it was already getting near sunset, and the, the Red Sea... Uh, went up into the sky, divided into two sections where they could cross between the waters all night long. All night long, that over a million people, because you don't, you don't get a million people across in two or three hours. It took all night long, going very fast, at a fast pace. And so that's what it means coming out of Egypt by night. Amen. And verse 42, it is a night to be observed. 
So that starts at sunset. When that Red Sea split at sunset on the day after Passover. That evening, the night to be much observed to Jesus, for that we have, that we, that he, having brought them out of the land of Egypt, that very night is a night to be observed, observed, observed to Jesus, so that it should be to all the children of Israel to the generations. 43, and Jesus said to Moses and Aaron, this is the law of the Passover. No stranger shall eat of it. Now, this should say, I'm going to keep that as stranger, okay? And it's basically saying anyone that is not converted, anyone that is not assimilated, not agreeing, shall not eat of it. So this is one of the ways we understand that only baptized, true followers of Jesus should take the Passover. Amen. Verse 44. 44, and every slave or servant bought with money, him you shall circumcise, and then shall he also eat of the Passover. So I'd like for you to recognize a couple of things here in that verse confirmed by many other verses of the Bible. It was not against God's law to have slaves. It was not against God's law to have slaves. Slavery was the consequence, the needed consequence, the necessary consequence of people not serving Jesus. People who would not obey Jesus. That they had to be invaded and taken as prisoners of war, taken as slaves by the invading nations. That's going to happen to Americans, Koreans, Australians, Africans, people of any race. It's not just black people. People of any race, Native American Indian, whites, blacks, Asian, it doesn't matter. If people do not obey Jesus, that land, that nation will be invaded and taken cap- captive by other nations. Amen. So God is not against slavery, but neither does he want slavery because he would rather for all people to obey him. Amen. He would rather that there not be any slaves. But if people disobey, that is the consequence. That's the consequence. Amen. And now that there are slaves, because they disobeyed, and they are taken into the tribe of Israel, the tribes of Israel, including the Africans and the Native Americans, captured by the English and the Americans, that they are become slaves, what you do with these people are you teach them about God. Amen. You don't just control them. What you also do is teach them about God. Amen. And it says here that when you buy the slaves with money, him you shall circumcise, which means you teach them the law of God, you leave them to God, and then they can become adopted into our family. Okay? 
And what we saw in the southern part of the United States back in the 17 and 1800s when there was slavery in the southern part and there was much slavery in the northern part of the United States as well. A lot of people don't understand that. It's a hidden part of history. People don't want to talk about the whole truth. But there was lots of slavery of black people in the northern part of the United States. But they want to pick and choose what facts they want to share and teach people. But nevertheless, what we saw in the South was, of course, some rotten people, some angry and mean and prejudiced people. Of course, you've always got bad people in the mix. But what we saw in the South was also a lot of good, God-fearing people who had servants and slaves only because that was the culture, what they were raised with, and what it was God's will that God led those people to do to take these people who were in witchcraft in Africa and, and make them slaves and servants, teach them about Jesus, and we saw lots and lots and lots of black slaves being converted from witchcraft to, to at least a knowledge that there is a God and his name is Jesus. That is what happened, which is much neglected in the history books, but it is fact and is documented. And not only that, but a lot of the southern white people loved their slaves, and those slaves became wives, children, brothers, and family of the white people. There are any, there is also at least several, at least several instances documented and recorded in history of where those white people freed those slaves and the slaves said, no, we will not leave you. We will not forsake you. We love you and we will continue to work for you voluntarily. Thank you for releasing me, but I'm not going to leave. We have a biblical account of that as well, of a woman that would not refuse, I mean, would not leave the woman that she was with and remained devoted to her even when the woman said, you're free to go in the Bible, that she stayed with her. Yes, there was bad, but there was also some good that happened. And right here it says to teach these people, circumcise them and let them eat of the Passover. Amen. Verse 45, a sojourner or hireling should not eat of it. No, a sojourner or a hireling these are people that are not being adopted into your family. They're just people just passing through or that you're only hiring to do a work, but you're not adopting them into your family. These are strangers. Verse 46, in one house shall be eaten, and you should not carry of the flesh out of the house, and a bone of it you should not break, because they did not break Jesus' bones. And the lamb represented Jesus. 45, all the congregation of the children of Israel shall keep it. 48, and if any proselyte, meaning a Gentile convert or 
an immigrant convert shall come to you to keep the Passover to Jesus, you shall circumcise every male of him, and then shall he approach to sacrifice that Passover, and he shall be even as the original inhabitants of the land, and no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. Now, we know that physical circumcision is done away with, but the spiritual circumcision still remains. So again, again, only truly saved people, circumcised of the heart, baptized and truly saved, true followers, only those people uh, are adopted into the family and take of the Passover. And 49, that shall be one law to the natives and to the Gentile convert or immigrant convert coming among you. So what we see in immigration in the situation in the world today is that they're breaking the law, not keeping the law, right? And what it's talking right here is to not oppress, but rather to adopt, to love, to treat gently, to embrace them into the kingdom if they are coming into agreement that, yes, they are going to keep the Passover with us and that they're willing to be circumcised spiritually. Amen. These are the ones that we do not oppress. But the ones that come across illegal and do not want to assimilate and do not want to embrace Jesus, but they remain Muslim or Catholic, it doesn't matter that they use the name of Jesus, they're still Muslim. Amen? They don't want to keep Passover, do they? Amen? So, it's a difference. There are invaders, and then there are immigrants, two different groups of people. Amen? Let's read chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are. But let's go to verse 8, chapter 20, verse 8. Verse 8, 9, and 10. Chapter 20, verse 8, 9, and 10. Remember the seventh day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and shall perform all your work. But on the seventh day is the rest of Jesus, your Theos. On it you should do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your servant, nor your maidservant, your ox, nor your donkey, nor any cattle of yours, nor the stranger that sojourns with you. So this is what this means then, is not only are you to keep the rest day, but also even your slaves, even your servants, even your animals, even your cattle, and even the stranger who is a Gentile among you. So if you have a person that is not converted to maybe stay the weekend with you, maybe, maybe they're a friend, maybe they are an acquaintance, for one reason or another, maybe they're a homeless person, whatever the case may be, whoever it is, there's no exceptions, no exceptions. If a person is in your house on the seventh day, they are not to be working not even your dog and your cat. 
Not even your cattle, your cow, your oxen. Amen. Very simple. The seventh day is holy, 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 holy. Reverence. Holy reverence. Respect. Honor to God. It is his day. It is not the day to labor. It is not the day to farm. It is not the day to earn money. Amen. It is holy unto the Lord. It is his day. And on his day, we are to focus on him and everybody in our house. And if they don't agree with this, they shouldn't be in our house. Amen. We're responsible, whoever the head of household is, woman or man, because we know that not every household has a man anymore. There should be. There should be a man in every household. Because if the husband dies, the brother should come in. And both the brother and the woman should be in agreement. Yes, come in and take care of me. I'm a woman. I need a man. This is the thinking of God. This is the way it should be. A woman does need a man. A woman does need a leader, a male leader. That is the way it's designed. That is the way it's intended. But, yes, there are exceptions. But even then, the women need a male leader of some sort, at least a pastor of some sort. But anybody in that house, everybody in that house, should be submissive to resting on the seventh day. And everything that you would normally do through the week must stop. Amen. The seventh day should not be treated as the same as Friday or Thursday or Wednesday or Sunday. Amen. The seventh day should not be treated the same as any other day. It is holy unto the Lord. It is dedicated unto God alone. It is not dedicated to him or her, but to God alone. Amen. Now, some words, either in this chapter or the yeah, here it is, the word maidservant in verse 10. I want you to understand what maidservant is. Maidservant is not talking about just a, a maid. A lot of people today, they see that word maid and they think there's somebody that you come in, I mean, you pay to come in to vacuum, to sweep your floor, to dust your furniture, a maid. That is not what it means. The word maid is an old English word for female. So I'm going to change this so that there be no mistake, so that nobody misunderstand what it says. The word maid is like maiden or old maid. You know how they call a woman an old maid if she's not married after the age of 16. They're called old. They, everybody used to call her an old maid if she's not married by the age of 16. So the word maid is not a servant in herself, but the word female. And that's why you see the word both maid and servant as two different words, but put together as one word because of Old English. So I'm going to translate that as female servant. Now, a female servant could be either paid or not paid. 
any female servant. It might even be translated as female slave. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Because really, the truth is, anybody that's in your house. Amen. But I wanted you to know what that word maid means. It just means female, not uh, a, a type of servant. It's really any servant, but any person in your house that they need to keep the seventh day. So that would include maids, men, and women, and children, and animals. No exceptions. Amen. And I like to also clarify something I said a few weeks ago. I said during a sermon a few weeks ago that, you know, sometimes I will mop my bathroom floor on the seventh day, sometimes, because I don't want people coming in here on the seventh day for services and see how nasty my floor is. I also said that I need to try to do that on Thursday or Friday or sometime during the week rather than the seventh day. Amen. But if it doesn't get done for one reason or another in my very, very, very busy schedule and I just don't get to it, if that floor is nasty, truly nasty, not just a little bit, but truly nasty, yeah, I will mop it on the seventh day to save myself that embarrassment and to be an honorable person, a respectful person, a person that's not nasty. It's just a matter of cleanliness. Amen. It's a matter of sanitation, not being nasty. And the Sabbath is not made to allow you to be nasty. Amen. And so, but I also want to clarify something. My bathroom floor is only six foot wide. Six foot by six foot. A small bathroom. It's a huge bathroom for me, but, you know, bathrooms are pretty small. I'm not talking about mopping the whole house. The rest of the house, the rest, the rest of the ministry building is carpet. So I'm talking about only mopping something that takes a couple of minutes. I'm not talking about mopping your whole house or a big kitchen or a big living room. That's different. So please don't use what I said as an excuse for you to do your housework and mop or sweep or vacuum large areas, that would be too much. And it should not become a habit of doing that every seventh day. But rather, we need to take advantage of the days before. Amen. Now, let's go to um, the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 20. So that's in the same book, in the book of Law, book of Numbers chapter 20. This is page 169. Numbers 20, verse 14, page 169. Numbers 20, verse 14. 
And Moses sent messengers from this place called Cades to the king of Edom, saying, Thus saith your brother Israel, You know all the distress that has come upon us, and how our forefathers went down into Egypt. And we sojourned in Egypt many days, and the Egyptians afflicted us and our forefathers. And we cried to Jesus, and Jesus heard our voice and sent an angel and brought us out of Egypt. Now, did an angel bring them out of Egypt? Well, it was actually Jesus that brought them out of Egypt. But there was also the death angel that passed over on a Passover night, which might be angel, it might be God. I'm not sure about that. I've got to study and think about that more as well. Now, the word angel can be translated either angel or manifestation. It may be talking about God himself, or it might be talking about some kind of angel. I'm not for sure that. So I think just for right now, I have to just put a note above angel and put manifestation because it could be talking about a manifestation of God came and delivered them, which is true, or it could be talking about an angel of death or some kind of other angel that was involved in the exodus as well. So it could go either way there. But he did bring either himself or angel and brought us out of Egypt. And now we are in the city of this Cades or Cades at the extremity of your coast or border. That word coast can be translated as border or coast. Either way, the context is a border. And so you might want to put border in parentheses to remember the context because of the word extremity, the extremity of your borders. So this is Moses at the border of a nation. Amen. Verse 17. We will pass through your land. We will not go through the fields, nor through the vineyards, nor will we drink water out of the Christine. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn aside to the right hand or to the left until we have passed your borders. We're saying we just want to get through. We're just passing through. We're not going to settle there. We're not going to live there. We just want to pass through your land, and we'll go a very direct route. And we won't abuse your land. We won't use your resources. And in verse 18, Edom, the king, said to him, you should not, not pass through me, my land. And if otherwise, if you do try this, I will go forth to meet you in war. And the children of Israel said to him, it should be said, rather than say, it should be said, the children of Israel said to him, we'll pass by the mountain. And if, he, if I or my cattle drink of your water, I will pay you. But it is no matter of importance of which direction, for we will go by the mountain, a different way rather than the king's highway. And he said, you shall not pass through me. And Edom went forth to meet him with a great host or a multitude or an army and a mighty hand. So Edom refused to allow Israel, the tribes, to pass through his borders, and Israel turned away from him. So notice what Egypt, I mean, what Moses did. Moses did not go through the land. He turned away. And notice also he asked permission or gave notification of what his intentions were ahead of time. Amen? So Moses respected 
shortage, did he not? Amen. He gave notification to the government officials, to the king himself. Notification. This is our intention. We seek to pass through. This is even the direction we will go. This is even the route we will go. The answer was no. And they gave a second reply, or we'll go a different way. Let's go through. The reply was still no. And Moses did turn away. Now, Moses could have called far down from heaven. He could. Moses could have sent plagues and far down from heaven and all kinds of stuff. But Moses simply turned away, respecting the decision of the government. Amen. So people may have a legitimate reason. People may not even have an evil intent. But we need to respect the government. The Bible does tell us in Romans 13 to obey the government, the kings and the laws of the nation, of the land. Amen. Even when they are unjust, it tells us that. We may not agree with the decision. It was a bad decision. But Moses abided by the decision. He was a man of God. He did set his example in this situation. Let's go to Exodus 34. We was in Exodus a while ago. Exodus 34. Page 117. Exodus 34, verse 22 through 24. Exodus 34, verse 22 through 24. Exodus 34, verse 22. And you should keep to me the fiesta of weeks, which is another name for Pentecost. It's called uh, this other name, Festival of Weeks, because seven weeks we count to Pentecost. So that's another name of it. And it says the beginning of wheat harvest, which is also referring to Pentecost. Okay? And the fiesta of ingathering, which is talking about tabernacles there. So these are different alternative names, all referring to the same holy days. Ingathering is tabernacles, if you want to put that in parentheses so that you know what it's talking about. And fiesta of weeks, maybe you might want to write Pentecost right above that. Now, in this particular verse, it's only talking about two holy days. Pentecost, also called Fiesta of Weeks, also called the beginning of wheat harvest, and then the second holiday called the Fiesta of Ingathering, which is Tabernacles. It's only talking about two holy days, although the next verse, notice it says three times a year. Now we know from the book of Deuteronomy, and Numbers uh, as well, both of those books, tells us that three times a year refer to Pentecost, Tabernacles, the two listed here, and also Passover unleavened bread season in the spring. It leaves it out here. And I believe that is probably because whoever wrote this down originally, or maybe a copy, that somewhere down the line, either originally or 
when they copied it, they forgot Passover. Because when you look at the book of Numbers, when you look at the book of Deuteronomy, we have other verses telling us also at Passover. These three times a year, which verse 23 says three times a year, okay? So don't let anybody say, because there's only two listed in this verse, we only have to go two times a year because it says three times a year. So it's just a mistake, either originally written or in a copy. It don't matter as long as we understand that there is a mistake, that it left out the name of Passover unleavened bread if we compare all verses. And I did look in the Greek, and this is accurate. So it's not my mistake. This is accurate. But perhaps 2,000, 3,000, whenever the mistake was, it was a mistake. And I cannot add the name of Passover into this verse because it's not in the oldest Greek manuscripts. I can't just add to Scripture because somebody made a mistake. I have to go with what's written. Amen? If that is what's written in those oldest scrolls that we do have, I have to go by those oldest scrolls. I do not have the permission to add to or take away from what was written, amen, unless I know that it was written. I don't know that it was written because it could have been Moses himself just having a senior moment. We don't know who took it out or Moses. He was 120 when he died. You know, Moses was not perfect. Moses made mistakes. He couldn't even speak well. So it could be that Moses left it out by mistake in this one place. He is not God. He is not perfect. I cannot add to it. Amen. But verse 23, three times a year, so every male of yours, so add an S on yours, every male of yours appeared before Jesus the Theos of Israel. You make a note here for me to fix that. Now, even though it says male appeared, as I've said many times before, the women were there too. We saw that. We've read that before in a different verse. Remember, compare all verses. I remember, I don't, I don't remember where it was, but I remember reading in sermon before, recently, a different verse that did say that the women and children were there too, okay? But it focuses on the men because the men are the leaders and the men are the ones that say, okay, wife, Children, we're going. That's why it's focusing, because those are the leaders. But the women and children are there too. In verse 24, when I shall have cast out the nations before your face and shall have enlarged your 
coast, which means also enlarging your border. And you don't actually enlarge a coast, so we're going to change that to border. Border church. Have enlarged your borders. No one shall desire your land whenever you go up to appear before Jesus your fields three times a year. What is this? This is a promise that you can actually leave your house and your nation and travel for these three pilgrimages per year. God will protect your home. God will protect your nation, your tribe, your land, and your border. No nation will invade you while you're gone. While you are obeying God, trust God. Trust God. Amen. People may say, I can't travel because somebody break into my house. If you are obeying God, he promises us to protect our land, our border from invasion while we are gone to obey him. Beautiful thing. Amen. Beautiful. Praise Jesus. Staying in this book of law, let's go to Deuteronomy 27. Deuteronomy 27. Page 206. Verse 1 through 17. Deuteronomy 27, verse 1, page 206. 27, verse 1, And Moses and the elders of Israel commanded, saying, Keep all these commands, all that I command you this day. And it shall come to pass in the day when you shall cross over Jordan into the land which Jesus your Theos gives you, that you shall set for yourself great stones and shall plaster them with plaster, is making a memorial. And you should write on these stones all the words of this law. As soon as you have crossed Jordan, when you are entered into the land with Jesus, the oath of your fathers, gives you a land flown with milk and honey, according as Jesus, the oath of your fathers, said to you. And it shall be, as soon as you're gone over the Jordan River, you shall set up these stones, which I command you this day, on Mount Gabal, and you should plaster them with plaster, making a large uh, uh, wall to write the law on. And you should build there an altar to Jesus your Theos, an altar of stones. And you should not lift up iron upon it. So don't use any iron hammers or anything like that. It should all be done by hand. Basically, just putting stone upon stone upon stone and using plaster to put it all together or cement, whatever, to make it all together. So do not use iron tools. This kind of shows a little bit of God is against technology, okay? Uh, even though back then they wouldn't have electric chainsaws or gasoline chainsaws or electric saws or anything like that, but they would have still had some kind of tools which was okay to use for other things, but to use for something holy to have the law of God written on it, don't touch it with these tools. It needs to be pure. So 
that should also be a lesson about a reverence for property or buildings or things used for the service of God. Verse 6, of whole stones shall you build an altar to Jesus, your theos, and you shall offer upon it whole burnt offerings to Jesus, your theos. And you shall there offer a peace offering, and you shall eat and be filled and rejoice before theos, Jesus, your theos. And you shall write upon the stones all the law very plainly. And Moses and the priests, the Levites, spoke to all Israel, saying, Be silent and hear, O Israel, this day you are become a people, meaning a nation, to Jesus, your theos. And you shall listen and obey to the voice of Jesus, your theos and should do all his commands and his ordinances, his commands I command you this day. Now, something just came into my mind that, you know, how can you put all of the law on here? And we, me and Michael has talked before about they must have been writing really, really small because how can you get all the law written on the side of the ark or whatever? And the, the thing about it is you got to realize in that day and that time, language the way you would speak it and the way you would write it was extremely much different. They didn't use as much of adjectives and pronouns that fill in in between. Uh, it, when you say a, sen- a sentence or a paragraph, today in English we add all kinds of words that are unnecessary, like th- these and vowels and, and of and so forth. And that's why in this, Alpha and Omega Bible, you're going to see, have seen, been seen a lot of times where we have to add the word of or be or change something because language was so different back then. They didn't use as many words. So when we read this today in English, there's a lot of words that have been added only for our English translation. And in that particular case, I'm not really adding to Scripture as in adding uh, the entire name of a holiday or the entire name of a person or a place, but rather adding only little words like uh, of and the and the and uh, from and some of the other little words that they didn't use so much of back then. Yeah. Uh-huh. Is that why he said, he, he said that you got to write on stones very plainly? He wanted to be like short? Like, very plainly, yeah. Michael asked the question, verse 8, very plainly, could that mean in a concise manner? I don't know. I'd have to look it up to see if it really only means write clear yeah. or write concise. I would have to double-check that Greek word. But another thing to consider is back then, just like it all lined the way you write words has always, always, always continued to evolve. It's still evolving. Words are being added and taken away from the dictionary, and even how you spell those words are changing in modern times. And so... Something you need to understand back about Pale Hebrew and original languages is sometimes you 
a lot of times they use picture words, right? So at one time, the word alpha, instead of A-L-P-H-A, five letters, was only one picture of the head of an ox. One character, one picture to represent what now we use five letters to represent. So I believe that when they made this wall, and even on the ark about writing all the walls, I think they used a lot of pictures. Even as 666 is actually pictures, okay? And they were still using pictures for words, even when Jesus walked on earth, but even more so, much more, in Moses' time, okay? And I believe that if we could go back farther than the oldest copies of the Bibles that we know of, I think we would find more pictures. And I believe it's very possible that when all of this right here was originally written, it was more pictures than letters. So I believe that using pictures, that instead of using five letters, they could use one picture and very concisely write all the law in a much less amount of space. Now it says, verse 11, Moses charged the people on that day, saying, verse 12, these shall stand, these, this memorial, these laws, to stand to bless the people on Mount Gerizim, having gone over the Jordan River. These tribes shall stand to bless. These tribes that shall stand to bless after they go over Jordan is the tribe of Simon, Levi, Judas, uh, Ishachar, Joseph, which is the father of Manasseh and Ephraim, and Benjamin. And these shall stand for cursing on Mount Gabal, a different mount. On the other side of Jordan, these tribes are cursed. Reuben, which is France, Gad, Asher, Zebulon, Dan, which is Denmark, and Nephilim. These tribes were cursed because they didn't want to cross the Jordan River. They were being rebellious. They were too fearful to obey God, to go into the land of promise, and they wanted to stay behind instead of moving forward. So they were being cursed for at least a time and a season. And verse 14, And the Levites shall answer and say to all of Israel with a loud voice, Cursed is the man whosoever shall make a graven or molten image. So that would be like stuffed animals and dolls, statues of people, statues of angels and Jesus. These are graven. These are molding. These are engraven, shaped, 3D images. Uh, abomination to Jesus, these are, this is. And the work of the hands of craftsmen, these statues, and shall put in it put it in a secret place because they don't want you to know that they sin. And all the people shall answer and say, so be it. So the people agree that these curses be upon these people that are breaking the commandments. 
Verse 16, cursed is the man that dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people should say, safe, so be it. They're coming to agreement into this contract, into this covenant. We'll keep your law, and if we don't keep your law, we're cursed. They were signing the contract. We will be your nation. We will obey your law. Now, when it says dishonor your father or your mother, that does not mean, does not mean that you should never, ever forsake your father and your mother. That's different because the New Testament says repeatedly over and over that you should be willing to forsake even father, mother, brother, wife, anyone, if they have rejected the word of God. But what it does mean about dishonor your father and mother is when you are still in their home as a child and you don't obey them, that is dishonor. And it would also be dishonor to be bad-mouthing them in public and so forth. So there's a difference between honor and dishonor, and there's a difference between uh, obedience to God because you can't always use this one commandment as an excuse. Amen. And so many people use this one commandment as an excuse to compromise with Satan. And the commandment of God was not made for you to use it as an excuse to compromise with lies and deceptions and their idolatry and their rejection of God's word. So even though it says honor your father and mother, we still must be willing to forsake them if they have rejected the truth. Amen. And verse 17, cursed is he that removes his neighbor's landmarks, the border of the nation or the border of your property. Cursed are they when they do not respect the landmark where it says, this is my property. And this is true in your neighborhood or even with a national border. That is the landmark. This is where the nation begins, where the nation ends. And somebody tries to remove that border, they are cursed. And the people say, so be it. Amen. People are supposed to obey the law of the land. Amen. There is a reason for borders. And if you read the whole Bible, the word border is in throughout the Bible. Sometimes it's coast, which really should be border a lot of times. But even the word border, like in King James, is there a ton of times. And borders are important to national defense. And we've got to understand that the other nations are in the condition that they are in. Mexico, the nations in Africa, South America, Russia, China, Syria, the Muslim nations, the communist nations, the Catholic nations, they are in the very bad and miserable, poor shape that they're in because they do not obey God. They are being cursed. So why should we embrace people who are not converting, not accepting Jesus, not assimilating, assimilating to Jesus and his law, and allow them to invade our nation? 
Borders and walls are very, very, very important. Now let's go to a prophecy about what's going to happen in our time because of the lack of border control. Let's go to the book of Prophets. Ezekiel 38. Page 125 in the book of Prophets. Page 125, Ezekiel 38. Talking about in our lifetime, in our day, in our generation, Ezekiel 38, verse 1. And the word of Jesus came to me, saying, Son of humans, set your face against Gog and the land of Magog, Rosh, which is Putin, Prince of Moscow, and Tabal, and prophesy against him. Verse 3. And say to him, the president of Russia, Thus saith the Lord Jesus, Behold, I am against you. Rosh, Prince of Moscow, and Tobal. And I will, I will gather you, and all of your hosts, your multitudes, your army, horses and horsemen, symbolically speaking of military, all wearing breastplates, symbolically speaking of military hardware uniforms, of a great multitude, shields and helmets and swords. Persians, which are very clearly Iranians, Kush and Pute, which are probably African nations, all of them with helmets and swords. Gomer and all belonging to him, and the house of Togmaga from the end of the north, and all belonging to him, and many nations with you. This is a huge invasion. And this is not just an invasion of the tribe of Judah in the Middle East. Because it doesn't take all these nations to invade a plot of land the size of New Jersey. Okay? This is going to include an invasion of America and Europe. Because when you have gathered that nation and that nation and that nation and that nation and that nation together, this is world war. Very clearly, world war. Verse 7. Be you prepared, prepare yourself, you and all your multitude that is assembled with you, and you shall be to me for a guard. You should be prepared after many days, and you should come at the end of the years, and should come to a land that is brought back from the sword when the people are gathered from many nations against the land of Israel which is 12 tribes, not just Judah, which was, was at one time entirely desolate, but he has come forth out of the nations, and they shall all dwell securely. Verse 9, And you shall go up as rain, and shall arrive as a cloud to cover the land. And there shall be with you, and all that are about you, and many nations with you. Thus saith the Lord Jesus, it shall also come to pass in that day that thoughts shall come up into your heart and you shall devise evil devices. That word device, I think, should be pursuit, as we changed earlier, devices to pursuit. Evil pursuits is an S on the end. 
And you shall say, I will go up to the rejected land. I think what that means is the United Nations, the Muslims, and the communists are rejecting America. I think that's what that is referring to, as well as the tribe of Judah being rejected by the other nations. And I will come upon them that are at ease and in tranquility, and drawing in peace, all inhabiting a land in which there is no law, nor bars, nor have they doors. You know what that means? That means wolfing immigration. This means that the invasion of America will occur when there is wolfing borders. Either, either Trump might be assassinated or maybe not assassinated, but Congress keeping the borders open that beyond Trump's control. Or perhaps he will leave office in three more years or seven more years and have a Democrat come back as president again. But however it happens, in any of those situations, however it happens, this is showing an invasion coming to America and Europe, Australia, Judah, coming against the tribes of Israel from Russia and Iran, partly in connection with the lack of border control, defense. Borders are very important to national defense. And when people are crossing it out of control, illegally, that is an invasion. And it is an invasion of people who are not coming into agreement with our law, but rather to come to conquer, to invade, to dominate, and to cause us to assimilate to their culture, their language, their religion, of Islam. This is what is occurring right now all across the world. We're already being invaded, but there is coming an invasion of tanks, planes, and bombs. That is coming as well. Amen? So this is the prophecy and a direct connection with a lack of border defense. So even though I do encourage people to vote Republican, support Trump with politics, with votes, with petitions, with protests, I do encourage people to get involved in the political process, sign up, get registered to vote, and do what you can, but be realistic. This is coming, no matter what we do but we should still stand our ground while we can stand our ground. There's nothing wrong with standing your ground. There's nothing wrong with trying to make a positive impact for as long as you can and to try to hold off the enemy as long as you can. Nothing wrong with that. I believe God wants us to do that. I believe he wants us to fight evil every chance we have, but we must do it with a reality 
that we're not going to make America great again. We're not. This day is coming because the Democrats are fighting very, very hard. And some of the latest things in the news, for example, is that Sarah Sanders, the Trump administration spokeswoman, which is the daughter of Mike Huckabee, by the way, a great hero, she was thrown out of a restaurant yesterday or sometime recently, thrown out of a public restaurant by the owner of the restaurant only because she is the spokesman for Trump and throughout her entire family and everybody with her. I hope she sues them, and I know she would win. I hope she sues them for every penny they have. I hope that place of business, restaurant, will go out of business. I hope they lose their job, their career, their family, their finances, their car, their house, everything. Amen? I hope she fights back, stands her ground, and a lot of people are already uh, writing and calling that restaurant and boycotting that restaurant, and I hope that it will be a success to get that restaurant closed their doors. But this war is raging and becoming violent. Tom Arnold, that used to play on the Roseanne show, who is now a major Democrat politician, he's not running for governor or nothing like that, but he's very, very involved in politics and protesting and stuff like that. A major demon, Tom Arnold, and other people, uh, another movie star, is calling for the Democrats to surround and protest at the schools of the children of the Republicans, to go to the children's schools and harass the children. This is how evil the Democrats are. Evil, evil, evil. I tell you, I am tempted to put a sign on the door of this building, no Democrats allowed. Very tempted. I tell you, these people are evil. And if you have any family members or friends, so-called friends, that are Democrats, you need to try to open these people's eyes. And if they're not willing to convert and repent. They should not remain your friends. And in this day and in this time, we need to stand our ground for the truth, for righteousness, for what is right. Stand against evil. This is going to be a literal fight sooner or later. I'm very, very... I'm very aware that this could turn out to be fighting in the streets, maybe a civil war in America, a brother against brother like it was in the civil war. I believe that this could get very bloody. It doesn't look very good. Things are getting really evil. I think we're going to start seeing people slash each other's tires 
beat people up in the streets and kill one another right here in the United States. This is getting really, really violent and very, very serious. And we've got to be careful to fight back, but be careful at the same time, cautious and wise, to not get over-obsessed and to not get involved physically very much because our weapons are not carnal but mighty to the point down the strongholds but spiritually we got to do more of the spiritual warfare and that doesn't mean completely withdrawing from politics it doesn't mean not doing nothing in the flesh we've got to put action behind our prayers we've got to be active physically in this war as, as well but there comes a balance line. We've got to be careful. We've got to be very careful. We don't need to be going out there getting fights on purpose. We need to be careful what we say, when we say it, how we say it, and avoid physical fights if at all possible. The scripture in the New Testament says to be at peace with all men as much as it is possible within us to do so. It's not always possible. They might hit us first. They might punch us first. But we are to try to be at peace with all men as much as it is possible for us to do. And that's going to take wisdom. It's going to have to take holding back sometimes. We should not just on the fly at all times be bold. There are times when Jesus could have struck people down, and he didn't. There were times that he could have stood his ground and not flee, not disappear, and confront the people right there and fight back and defend himself, but he didn't. There were more than one time when he disappeared from right in the midst when they were about to mob him, more than one time. And he chose, instead of standing his ground or fighting back or being bold, he chose to disappear from their midst. We have to Pick our fight, and even the Bible says that. We have to be careful because uh, we know that the end result, this nation is going to be gone soon, no matter how much we fight. No matter how much we fight spiritually or physically, it's not worth fighting for. Amen. I think we need to stand our ground. Fight evil. But it's not worth a bloody lift. It's not worth throwing punches. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. This nation is lost. Even with the great hope that Trump has has energized in me and in us, even with Trump giving us great, great, great hope, at the end of the day, we've got to believe Scripture. Amen? We've got to believe Scripture that it's going to happen. This nation is going to be invaded, and there's not going to be a wall. It's not going to exist. No matter how much we want that wall built, maybe it will get half-finished. Maybe it will get finished and then being torn down by the next president. I don't know. But sooner or later, that wall will not be there, and we will be invaded. And we cannot change that. We cannot erase these words. We cannot change it no matter how much we pray. 
no matter how much we fight, we cannot change Scripture. It's going to be fulfilled. Scripture cannot be broken. Amen. Let's look at one more place in the New Testament. Revelation 17, another prophecy for our time. Revelation 17. Verse 15 through 17. Verse 15 to 17. Revelation 17, verse 15. And he said to me, the waters which you saw in this vision where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. So Babylon is all over the earth. It's not just one city. There is one city. But Babylon also exists all over the earth. Verse 16, and the ten horns of this beast that came up out of the sea, ten horns, which were ten presidents, or not presidents, but leaders that Assad will appoint, these ten horns which you saw, and the wild beast Assad, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked. So eventually, Assad, will turn against all religion, okay? He is going to turn against the Catholic Church. He's going to turn against uh, Russia, China, and not just only America, not only Israel. There's going to be, at the very end of the tribulation, Assad becoming so self-conceited and focusing all the worship upon him alone that he is going to be fighting back against people that are even on his side, even the Nazis, the, even the communists, even the Muslims, even the Catholics. I think he's going to like be a great civil war even within his own group. Okay, There are other scriptures to confirm this. The, the fact is, the reality of life is that evil eats evil. Evil eats evil. They destroy themselves. If you look what's happening in Syria and across the Middle East right now and the world, look how the Sunnis and the Shiites, two different groups of Muslims, hate each other. And they're at war against each other. And they're doing that. They're killing Muslims. are killing Muslims. And Saudi Arabia is a Muslim nation that hates Iran, which is a Muslim nation, and vice versa. So they eat themselves and they destroy themselves and they kill one another. And this is going to intensify in the final days, final weeks, and final months of the Great Tribulation, that they're going to destroy themselves from within. Because the fruit of darkness is darkness, the fruit of evil is evil, and evil cannot stand. It cannot stand that it destroys itself. It's a self. They hang themselves. Amen. And so even though Assad is evil and the harlot is evil and Babylon is evil, 
Look what happens. And they work together at the beginning to invade America and to invade Israel because you also see that with the Muslims right now is that even though they will hate one another, fight to kill each other, and threaten to invade each other, but when, when they talk about Israel and America, they all are in agreement. So they can work together for the invasion, but somewhere down the line, they go back to fighting each other. So again, verse 16 says, the ten horns, which you saw, and the wild beasts of Sod, these will hate the harlot, which is on their side and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and burn her up with fire. So the note says Assad and his leaders will turn against the Roman Catholic Church and destroy the Vatican. At the beginning of his reign, he mixes the Catholic doctrines with Islam only to catch people that think that the Catholic Church is Christian and to catch her daughter religions, listed in verse 5, who think that they are saved when they are not. So he turns against the Baptist Church, the Pentecostal Church, the Catholic Church, and to dominate with Islam. But at first, he embraces, at first, he embraces coexistence with Hindus and Buddhists and Catholics. But eventually, he's going to say, away with Buddhism, away with Hinduism, away with the Catholic Church is only about himself. Worship him, not these other systems. Verse 17. For the Theos has put in their hearts to execute his purpose, praise the Lord, by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the wild beast Assad until the words of the Theos will be fulfilled. We've got to remember this, people. God is in control. God has determined who will be the president of each and every nation. He has determined who will invade who, when, and how. He has determined that there won't be borders. In the end, all things will be fulfilled, and there's nothing we can do to change prophecy. Amen? The scriptures will be fulfilled. And there are kings, leaders, and nations who will say to Assad, I bow to you, I submit to you, I will go into agreement with you. But in the end, they will turn against each other because God will put it in their hearts and in their minds to turn against each other, even as he puts it into their mind to invade America at the beginning. God is in control, people. God is in control. Always remember that God is in control. So don't lose focus. And, and start obsessing with the Freemasons and what happened in 17-something and this and that and who is in control and George Soros and all these other people. God is in control. God is using George Soros. God used Obama. God is using Trump. God is using Putin. God is going to use Assad. Even what Assad does is ordained to happen. God saw the end from the beginning. God knew what was going to happen. And it's all ordained to happen. It was ordained for Israel to be slaves at one time. 
Everything is ordained. And we need to remember that and just not worry because what's going to happen is going to happen. We cannot change it. So with all the distress, with all the violence, with all the hatred, with all the frustration, let's calm our minds that God is in control. Amen? He is in control. But what you also see here is an erasure of borders, even in these verses, because it says, define it here, Verse 17, for the Theos has put in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. They come into agreement, and by giving their nations, their kingdom, to Assad. So that's erasure of borders. What this is talking about is one new world order, amen, where those nations, Say, we come into agreement with Assad, you be the one president. You be the one leader. There's going to be other leaders under him, the ten horns. But even those ten horns, even Putin, even China, even Iran, even Saudi Arabia, will say, we give you our land, a ratio of borders to one world government. It is coming. But, who puts it in their mind to do this? God does. The new world order is part of God's plan. Amen. It's part of his plan. And sometimes he has used wicked people, including Freemasons, to fulfill his will. Do not forget, when we celebrate the 4th of July here very soon in America, don't fall for these propagandas that say that you should not honor your nation because it was founded by Freemasons. Don't fall for that propaganda. I don't care how wicked George Washington Thomas Jefferson and these people may have been. I don't care if they did swear allegiance to the Freemasons. It was God that put it into their mind to sign the Declaration of Independence, to fight the British, to establish the American government, and to develop this nation. It was God's will, and God was controlling those people, regardless of how wicked they may or may not have been. We should honor this establishment of this nation, the greatest nation on earth, it really is. It may be a nation that has forsaken Jesus. It may be a nation that has lost a lot of their remembrance of God. But it's only because of what the Democrats have done. Amen. It was still founded on the Ten Commandments. It was still founded on biblical principles. Amen. I'm going to celebrate the force. Amen. I can't wait for it. 
But I do want to remind people, though, that uh, I do not agree with fireworks because when you're you're shooting the fireworks up into the sky, several things are occurring. For one thing is the way it's designed is looking like stars and far up in heaven, up into the sky. You're going, ooh, and ah, clapping your hands. And I believe that it is a form of idolatry. I believe it is like far worship. And even if I might be wrong on that, there's another issue we should think about. And that is millions and millions of dollars every year are wasted by city government, state government, federal government, and just literally burning money, millions of dollars, that should be used for better purposes. We have a debt through the ceiling in this nation. The debt, I don't know how many trillions or jillions of dollars it is. And yet, we're spending millions of dollars out of taxpayers' money to shoot far up in the sky so we can clap our hands for five minutes and then it's done, or 20 minutes and it's done, and then the money's gone. It's vanity. It's a neglect of the orphans. Amen. It is a neglect of the widows. That money could be put into the Social Security funds. It is the neglect of the widows and the orphans and the the righteous immigrants, when this money could be invested into the economy, into the welfare program, into fixing roads or other things, to feed people, clothe people. And what about on an individual level? On an individual level, instead of spending twenty, forty, a hundred dollars, some people spend two, three, four hundred, five hundred dollars on fireworks. People spend an entire paycheck or two, two paychecks on fireworks for the 4th of July. And they could be putting that in. What about their tithes? Amen. What about their baby food and their dog food and clothes? Or what about buying Bibles for people? Amen. It's It's a horrible, horrible, I think a sinful waste of money. I think sometimes you can waste your money and it really not be a sin. But then other times, a sinful waste of money. There, there is such a thing. And I think this is a sinful waste of money. And then another thing. All those fireworks being shot off by Greenville and Morristown and Johnson City and Kingsport and Bristol and Asheville. So you go every 20 miles and there's fireworks. What does this do? All across America, across thousands of miles, every 20 miles for a 1,000 miles, fireworks going off. It is polluting the air, the water, the trees, and it is scaring the daylights out of children, dogs, cats, birds, deer, other animals. It is a frightening experience for babies 
little defenseless babies pooping in their pants because of this very frightening gunshot after gunshot after gunshot. It is not right. And it is not a pleasurable experience to God himself. I believe that forwards is a sin. I believe there are exceptions. But I don't believe the 4th of July is an exception in this case. When you have that huge of a waste of money and that huge of a pollution of the atmosphere and that huge of a frightening experience for babies and animals all across the land for a thousand miles. I don't think that's acceptable to God. But the holiday itself, I think, is only another example of a thanksgiving to God for the founding of this nation. But when it comes to doing the fireworks, I believe it is a sin. So on the 4th, I will be going downtown to our local parade, and I will cheer on the military and the fire department and the police and other people in the parade. I will cheer on. I will be happy. I will clap my hands. I will have a good time. But I will leave the downtown area before those fireworks. So I don't want to be grieving all that in. I don't want to allow my wife to grieve that in. I think that that is a stupid thing to be breathing that stuff in. I think that's stupidity and dangerous. And I don't want any part of it. Amen. And I'm not going to waste my money on fireworks here at the home knowing that I could spend that money on buying Bibles and flyers, and other things that are much, much, much more important. There's a time to waste money, and then there's time to save money and to have priorities. Amen. I also want to clarify about the throne of David. When the scriptures say that the throne of David is going to be eternal, I'm not talking about, in scriptures, I'm not talking about a piece of wood of where somebody sits. What it's talking about is the government, the throne as in the government throne, the government office of King David, that there will always be a a descendant, that there will always be somebody in his office as king or queen, as we do see with Queen Elizabeth. But in no way, shape, or form is that talking physically, carnally, in the flesh, that there's actually a seat that she sits in. I am not talking about that at all, and that's not what the Scripture is referring to. I do not believe that there is a chair three, four, five, six thousand years old that still exists. No, no. It's talking about his office, his administration of the throne of God that David sit on, which Queen Elizabeth now sits on. Okay, with all that said, I do also ask that people be 
examining themselves, testing themselves over the next days, over the next weeks and months and years. As time continues to go by, let's not examine ourselves only at Passover or only at Atonement or only on the Holy Days, but uh, consistently examining where we are, where we need to be, what we're doing wrong, what we're doing right. You need to take some time to really examine yourself, your life. Are you compromising in any way? But don't get over-legalistic, okay? Please don't get over-legalistic. That's just as dangerous. You can be too liberal and you can be too over-legalistic. It can go, you can go, when you go bowling, you want to go the straight and narrow gate, but you don't want to go to the left, you don't want to go to the right. You can have that, that, that gutter ball to the left or to the right. And it's a fine balance and it's a difficult balance to reach in a short amount of time. And I believe I have been extremely, extremely, extremely patient with people giving people time to find that straight and narrow path, that fine balance. I believe I've been extremely patient with that, as God has as well. But it's not going to last forever. My patience is going to run out because I feel the pressure from God. I feel pressure from God that the time is coming, that I'm going to have to put my foot down more on certain issues and certain people, more than one person. And it may come down to it that I will lose my entire congregation. And if that is what needs to be done, I would do it. And if I come to stand alone, then so be it. I've been alone before. I want a congregation. I want friends. I want brothers. I want sisters. But not at the expense of compromise with compromise. Amen. I will not compromise with compromise. I have thrown people out of this congregation a million times. I have thrown people out of this congregation that I deeply and sincerely loved. I tell you, I really love some people I've thrown out of this congregation. I've thrown people out of this congregation that were here for month after month after month that stayed a long time. People that were paying tithes, I have thrown out of this congregation. This ain't about friendship. I'm not here to make friends. I want friends, but I don't need them. Amen. Christ is sufficient. And if I go back to living in a tent by myself, then so be it. I will stand for Christ and Christ alone. And I will stand at the throne of Jesus by myself for my sins and my actions, my righteousness, and my faults by myself and not with anyone else. So if I have to lose everybody, then so be it. That don't make no difference to me because I will only answer for myself. But the truth is, I will also answer for who I have not thrown out. I will have to answer for. Why did you compromise with such and such? Why did you compromise with such and such person or such and such sin? I will have to answer for that. And so when I stand at the throne of Christ, I want to have a clear conscience, and I will 
have a clear conscience. Amen? I don't want to lose no one, but I'm willing to. Because I do want to stand my ground of what God's will really is and try to get every one of you into the first resurrection, if at all possible. If at all possible, I would love to be at the marriage supper and and see every one of you with me there. That's God's will. That's my will. It should be your will too. But to get there, every one of you are going to have to forsake a lot of people, your friends and your family, your houses and other things. You're going to have to die alone and naked and broke. And if you're not willing to die alone, naked and broke, you're not worthy of the kingdom. And that's just the way it is. That's just the reality. Christ has got to be sufficient. You don't need nothing else. You don't need nobody else. You don't need friends. You don't need family. All you need is Christ. That's where you need to get. That's where you need to get. Amen. Not more money. Not more friends. Not holding on to people or things. All you need is Christ. And you'll be content. You may have your ups and your downs. You may feel lonely at times. But you'll bounce back. And you'll be content. And you will be willing and able to do the same thing I am doing where I have already forsaken my mom, my dad, my favorite uncle, my favorite nephew. You'll be able to do these same things if you get it into your mind that Christ is enough. You don't need nothing else. Amen. And when the time of great tribulation comes, when that time of great tribulation comes, that's not the time to then forsake people and things. But it's now because I feel the pressure from God right now. Amen. He don't want you to keep putting off righteousness, keep putting it off, keep putting it off, keep putting it off. The, the, the line is being drawn in the sand right now, and I'm not the one drawing it. This ain't my decision. I don't want to do this. This is not my decision. It's what pressure from God. He's making me do this, or he's directing me to do, do this, and I'm falling in line with his will. That's what is occurring. Not my will, but his will. Amen. And the decision should not be made at the last day, but now. Because you've been in this ministry long enough, and it's time to grow up. Amen. Time to make some tough decisions. There are going to be tough decisions you're going to have to make, tough decisions i got to make. But tough decisions they must be. Amen. Test. And I encourage every person to test yourself so that I will not have to test you. Judge yourself so that I will not have to judge you. Test yourself to where I won't have to test you. Amen?
Tomorrow is the great day of Pentecost. Today and tomorrow, days of celebration. Amen. So I'm going to enjoy myself today. I'm going to try to get this gloominess off of me. I'm going to ask God. I've said it, Lord. I've said everything that needed to be said at this time, at this junction. I'm asking you, Father, to help me to rejoice, to celebrate, to be happy, to put my mind on the good report, on the positive report, on the good things. Put my mind on good things, Father. Please help me, Lord, to celebrate. Help me, Lord, to have a merry heart. Help me, Lord, to exercise the liberty that you have given me to rejoice in these, this holiday, this entire holiday weekend. Help me, my brother, my wife, my sister, and my brothers and sisters to rejoice, Lord, to rejoice, be happy, and to celebrate. This is what today and tomorrow is supposed to be about and is appointed for and ordained for. And to think about the resurrection. We want to be there, Lord. We want to be there at that great marriage supper of the Lamb of God in heaven. We want to marry you, Lord. We want to be your lover and your friend. We want to be, take communion with you, Lord. We want to sup with you, Lord. We want to eat with you, drink with you as the best drunkenness, Lord. We want, Lord. We want, Lord, life, life eternal in your light. Not in outer darkness, not in death, not in eternal sleep and wiping out of existence, not in annihilation, but in the light. We want to be in the light. We want to live forever, Father. And we want to be your first wife and not your second wife. We want to be in the first marriage, not the second resurrection. We want to be your first wife. We want to be close friends, close buddies. Father, help us, Lord, to make it in. Help us to be willing to surrender all. Help us to become poor and miserable and naked. Help us, Father, to be alone. Help us, Father, to carry our cross. Help us, Father, to take the burden. Help us, Father, to accept the burden. Help us, Father, to be destitute. Help us, Father, to be in the desert with you, to be willing, to be alone, miserable and naked, to be a bondservant, a prisoner. Help us, Father, to say that we would not forsake you, that we would not leave you, we would not leave your side. We choose to stay voluntarily, Father. Even though that we are slaves, we choose to voluntarily bow at your feet, to voluntarily wash your feet and kiss your feet, Lord, because we love you. And this is not a burden to us, Father. We love you, Father. Master, Lord, King, God, in Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord Jesus. Praise Jesus. Praise Jesus.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 